Hello, friends, and welcome to the first week, part two of Bill's Facebook Live Studies. Uh, we are looking at uh, the daily Bible readings each week. This is reading through the Bible in one year in chronological order. If you missed uh, Tuesday's lesson just the other day, then I hope that you'll be able to go back and pick that up because Tuesday's lesson was the very first one on January 4th. And I spoke a lot about how to use this wonderful tool edited by F. Lagarde Smith uh, called the Daily Bible in Chronological Order. There are lots of daily Bible plans out there. Pick one and that you'll do and, and go through it. That'll be great. What a great sense of accomplishment if you can read through the Bible in 2022. That would be a great, great thing. Uh, and the one that we'll be using is what I think is the, the best tool that I've found for daily Bible reading in my 43 years, 44 years, close to that, of um, full-time ministry. And that is this uh, wonderful tool from F. Lagarde Smith, the Daily Bible in Chronological Order. If you're using any other Chronological Order Daily Bible uh, plan, we'll probably stay pretty close together. If you're just reading from Genesis through Revelation or some other kind of plan, uh, then uh, we will probably leave each other at times, but then we'll pick back up together again. And so I hope that if you missed Tuesday's lesson that you'll scroll down a little bit on my Facebook page and pick it up or go to our westerwin.com website. West Irwin is W-E-S-T-E-R-W-I-N. That's the street our church building is located on. And uh, so westerwin.com, click on the live streaming page and then click on the link that takes you to video archives and you'll see uh, that the, these lessons will be posted there after I'm finished with them live and uh, you'll also find all of our other lessons that are able to be video recorded and live streamed there from the past few years as well. Uh, also our West Irwin Live and our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook pages will be showing these. I'll share them there after uh, the lessons each time. Again, we'll be doing this on Tuesdays and Thursdays live right here on my Facebook page at 3 p.m. And then we'll also be sharing them to those other sites uh, after we're done. So I hope that you'll take part. I know we had a lot of folks that looked at the one from Tuesday, and that's a great thing. I hope that uh, uh, you'll be able to go back and pick that up if you missed it. Hope that you're using the Daily Bible or some other Daily Bible reading tool. Uh, if you read three or four chapters a day, as I've said, you'll read through the Bible in a year, uh, depending on how long the chapters are. But uh, this first part, we're uh, just covering the first 17 chapters in Genesis. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Uh, but really, it's not. And uh, this is the first week's reading. F. Lagarde Smith does a lot of uh, commentary in this section as he's introducing uh, this uh, study, as he's introducing uh, the, the book of Genesis and sharing a little bit about some things. What he does is he shares some historical things to help you get the right context. Uh, he shares a little bit about what's going on, but usually it's just the narrative. It's just the text that you read. He offers just enough helps uh, to be helpful, uh, but not too much to uh, increase uh, the uh, time it takes to read everything uh, in an unbearable way. So if you can take 15 or 20 minutes a day, probably, you can read through the Bible in a year. That doesn't sound like a lot when you put it that way. Uh, last time on Tuesday, we did introduce the study, 
And this week, uh, or uh, today, in today's study, we'll uh, get into it and get after it in the book of Genesis. We were able to look at creation uh, a little bit last time and saw uh, some of that. And uh, we will uh, be uh, looking at several other things today that happen in Genesis 1. We won't, we won't go over all of the creation story from Genesis 1 and 2. Just remember uh, chapter 1 is the overarching view of those first six days of creation and then God resting on the seventh day. Genesis 2 zooms in a little bit and takes a closer look at the creation of humanity, mankind, male and female. God created them, uh, scripture says, and that wonderful statement uh, that um, Adam makes as woman is created, he says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave or be devoted to his wife and the two will become one flesh. The sanctity of marriage uh, beginning at the very beginning, and we see that in a in a wonderful way. Unfortunately, what also happens at the very beginning is sin. In Genesis chapter three, uh, we begin to see that first story of of mankind's sinfulness. God had given them only one command that they could break, really, and that was that they uh, were not to eat of the tree in the Garden of Eden of the knowledge of good and evil. But of course, as you know the story, Satan comes in uh, disguised as a serpent and, uh, and, and lies. Uh, and Jesus would later, in John chapter 8, say that Satan was a liar from the beginning and is the father of lies. Uh, and that's certainly the truth. Uh, Satan tells Eve and Adam, uh, no, you won't die. God just said that. And uh, it, it's just that you'll be like God. And that is the temptation, isn't it? Isn't that the temptation that we face in every aspect? To be like God, to be our own God, to run our own life. Uh, we, we feel sometimes that the commands of God are, are too burdensome. And so we want to run our own lives. Thank you very much. And Adam and Eve found that out. Later on, after they both ate of the forbidden fruit, uh, they hear God in the garden and they hide. And so God says, God does, he does this. He questions, he uses questions to, he knows the answers, of course, but he wants us to deal with the reality of what's going on. And so he calls out, where are you? And, um, and Adam says, well, I heard you in the garden and I, um, I was afraid because we were naked. And God said, well, who told you you were naked? And so that's when Adam realizes the jig is up and he's got to make some excuses. So he, you know, he points over to Eve and he says, she did it. She made me do it. Eve points over to the serpent and he made me do it. And so God curses, uh, brings a lot uh, about curses upon them. And to the serpent, he says this in Genesis 3, uh, verses 14 and 15. Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Many see in this uh, the first prophecy, the first look, the first promise of salvation through the descendant of Adam and Eve, uh, Jesus Christ. And I think that's accurate. In fact, 
uh, from not long after uh, the, uh, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of those early church fathers, as we call them, uh, said that this was that first prophecy that would point uh, ultimately to Jesus. Um, I see that as well. And we, we understand that humans and snakes don't get along. I'm one of those. Um, and a serpent, a snake uh, on the ground would possibly bite a, a man or a woman's heel. Uh, but ultimately, uh, mankind would have the upper hand and could strike down and kill that serpent. And that's what I think is the right thing to do to snakes, by the way. And so there is that understanding. But there is also uh, this look ahead to Satan uh, giving an injury, injuring uh, Jesus, the seed of Adam and Eve, a descendant of them uh, through Abraham, through King David, uh, and by crucifying him and yet uh, Jesus having the ultimate victory by being raised from the dead. What a great, great statement. We see God's grace and God's mercy in addition to God's judgment throughout these first chapters of scripture. In Genesis chapter 4, we're introduced to Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel. And again, uh, it's one generation uh, until the first murder takes place. Cain and Abel offer up sacrifices of worship to God. Uh, Cain's is rejected, Abel's is accepted, and because of that, Cain is jealous and he kills his brother Abel. And that uh, question again from God, uh, where is your brother Abel? And... Um, and Cain gives this response in Genesis 4, verse 9, this question that And the answer to that question is, yes, you are. You are your brother's and your sister's keeper. That's what Cain learned. That's what we all should learn. Uh, we are responsible uh, for ministering to and helping and, um, and, and being there for each other. Again, we see God's grace and mercy as uh, Cain is given a mark so that he will not be killed outright. Um, and then Adam and Eve are given another son and his name is Seth. And it is through Seth that we find the Semites, S-E-M-I-T-E-S, -E uh, the descendants of Seth that ultimately lead uh, to Abraham and to Jesus. In Genesis chapter 5, we read about those long lifespans and the genealogies leading uh, from Adam and Eve and Seth to Noah. Hundreds of years. Uh, how is that possible that they could live hundreds of years? Well, there's a little bit of speculation. Uh, Lagarde Smith brings out some of this. Uh, they are not that far removed from the Garden of Eden, and so perhaps that perfect uh, setting for humanity is still bearing fruit. Uh, there were obviously uh, superior living conditions on earth uh, because of uh, it being so new and humanity not having much history yet. Uh, and of course, the longevity needed to populate the earth. God told Adam and Eve, fill the earth. Uh, and uh, ultimately he would tell Noah the same thing. And so for that to happen, I think the lives needed to go a little bit longer and God was certainly okay with that. Uh, Dr. Smith says this, one can only speculate, but acknowledging a creative being powerful enough to bring the universe into existence certainly allows the option for such a creator to permit unusually lengthy lives for whatever purpose might suit his comprehensive plan for mankind. 
And I agree, if God can create the world, uh, he can certainly allow uh, humanity to live as long as he wants for whatever purpose he might have. Uh, as we look at these uh, genealogies, this genealogical record in Genesis 5, uh, Dr. Smith brings out that these may not be complete. He operates under the assumption that they are. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know uh, which would be uh, correct, uh, but I, it doesn't matter for our salvation. But it is interesting the way um, Dr. Smith does it in some of his comments on this section, uh, looking at the lives of people and the time from the time of creation uh, to the time of Noah. Uh, it, it's really interesting because what he does during this time is he measures it in years AC after creation. Ultimately, in the time of Abraham, as you know from reading this week, uh, he'll begin to offer uh, 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 years in BC before Christ or BCE, some say today, before the common error, error, era. And, um, and so before Christ, about 2,000 years or so is where we find Abraham, and that's when uh, that time frame begins. But for Adam, he died 930 years after creation. Adam was 930 years old uh, when he died. He was created as a human, as a grown adult likely. Um, and then he died 930 years uh, later, according to Genesis 5, uh, verse 5. And interestingly enough, uh, Brother Smith brings out some of these things. Lamech, the father of Noah, was 56 years old when Adam died. So the father of Noah was actually alive while uh, Adam was still uh, alive. Uh, Lamech was 168 years old when Seth died, the son of Adam and Eve. Um, and I think that's really interesting. Uh, the flood of Noah, if these genealogies are complete, which is a big if, I understand, uh, occurred 1656 years after creation. That was when the flood uh, came that you read about this week uh, in Genesis uh, 6 through 9. Uh, Lamech, Noah's father, died five years before the flood. Methuselah was the person who lived the longest. Uh, his age is recounted as 969 years. And if you do your math in that section, um, it looks like Methuselah died in the flood. Kind of an interesting thing you can check me out on. Well, there's a great passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 5. We're introduced to this man, Enoch. And uh, something very interesting as um, uh, Genesis is recording how long people lived and how old they were when they died and how old they were when they had uh, a son. And uh, this is a very interesting statement about Enoch, E-N-O-C-H. When Enoch, Genesis 5, 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Such an incredible uh, statement um, that speaks about Enoch walking with God. I think Noah is spoken of in the same way. Others will be uh, following that. Uh, but Enoch walked with God, and then it just says he, he no longer existed because God took him away. It doesn't say he died. It just says God took him away at much younger than those of his generation were living, hundreds and hundreds of years, 365 years. 
just as there are 365 days in one year. I love the story of Enoch uh, that uh, may or may not be uh, obviously the way it came about, but it's a great story. And, um, and because it talks about Enoch walking with God. And so this, as the story goes, one evening God and Enoch were walking together and uh, God said, you know, it's getting late and you're a long way from home. Why don't you just come home with me? I think that's a beautiful, poetic, wonderful, creative way of saying that Enoch walked with God for 365 years faithfully, and then he was not because God took him. It's a great, great statement. Well, uh, everything continues on in Genesis uh, chapter 6 through 9. We read about that great flood, uh, and it seems like that was a worldwide flood. Uh, we have evidence of, from other uh, civilizations that speak about an ancient flood. Um, the, the flood gives us answers to some questions about how things happened and where things went and obviously ex explains a cataclysmic event uh, that brought about things uh, such as the end of the dinosaurs uh, and other things. Uh, Kyle Butt with Apologetics Press spoke a lot about that while he was with us last fall. I recommend you going to uh, their website, Apologetics Press. And reading up on some of those things, fascinating things, very credible, credible things uh, that help us to see the Bible and science are, are not in contradiction to each other, but uh, can be very complementary. Um, in Genesis chapter 9, finally Noah and his family are taken out of the ark. And uh, God uh, makes a covenant with them and says, I will never destroy the earth again by water. And he puts his bow in the clouds, he says, so that everyone will know uh, about this covenant and that as bad as the rain might be ultimately it will stop uh, genesis 9 verses 8 through 16 the rainbow is a great sign for that peter tells us in second peter 3 that yes that is true but uh, the world will be destroyed one day when jesus returns and everything physical is is done away with and we are able to be with the lord uh, forever uh, scripture continues on, and in Genesis chapter 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel, or as uh, uh, that great philosopher theologian Elton John uh, would say, the Tower of Babel. Um, and, um, uh, you know, it's an incredible story of the pride of humanity. Uh, and I think one of the things that's going on there is it hearkens us to the book of James chapter 4. You know, that's the passage where James says, uh, don't just make your plans without consulting God. Say, if it's the Lord's will. And again, it's not just a flippant Lord willing, although that's okay, but rather it's consider God as you're making your plans. Here at the beginning of a new year, as you're making resolutions or as you're making plans for 2022 and beyond, consider God, consider his word and his will. I think that's what they didn't do when they were building the Tower of Babel. Uh, and so God threw them into confusion by giving them different languages and causing mankind to uh, spread out a bit. And we see that beginning in Genesis chapter 11. And then in Genesis chapter 12 is a great statement where we're introduced to the man Abram, who would later become, his name would be changed to Abraham. And in, in Genesis chapter 12, uh, God calls Abraham calls Abram and he makes him some promises and Abram is willing to respond uh, to that call of God and ultimately we see those promises 
uh, fulfilled. Genesis 12, verse 1, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Genesis 12. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, through your descendant, through your seed, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, Paul makes that very statement from these promises, not necessarily this one, but it's mentioned several other times in the book of Genesis. Uh, this covenant that God had with Abram, later Abraham, and uh, the promise to bring about salvation and blessing uh, to all of humanity through his descendant. Uh, as we continue on through Genesis in chapter 12, uh, Abram and his wife Sarai find themselves in Egypt, and though they are half brother and sister, they are also a husband and wife. And, uh, and Abram, in a time when his faith is faltering, tells Sarah, don't tell them that you're my wife. Tell them that you're my sister. A half-truth, you might say. And, um, and yet God protects them and protects the Pharaoh there. Again, we'll see that later on. Uh, Abram and Sarah do the same thing uh, in another place. But here, um, they're in Egypt, and ultimately they uh, are, are, are sent away. And, um, and continue on uh, their way. Later we'll see that in Gerar, and we'll also see that uh, with Isaac and his wife, Rebekah. Uh, a reminder that even the father of the faithful, the great Abraham, struggled with that faith at times. Why? Because he was human, just like we are human. We struggle with our faith sometimes. And, um, and so we have great encouragement from knowing that God didn't reject Abraham. And he's not going to reject us if we continue on that path towards faithfulness. Uh, Abram and Lot separate in Genesis 13. Uh, Lot is Abram's nephew. His brother had died, and so he took Lot uh, and his family uh, as his own. And Lot traveled with them until finally they got to be too many of them and their uh, property and their animals and their uh, servants. And so they separate. Abram gives Lot the choice. He says, look out, you go right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. And Lot chooses the best looking land that he can find. But unfortunately, it's the land of Sodom. Um, Abram gets Canaan. And, uh, and then later on in Genesis 14, Abram has to pull his, uh, his army together of a few hundred men and go and rescue Lot uh, because he had been captured by another nation. Um, and then in Genesis 14, as, as Abraham is coming back, uh, successful from that venture, uh, he is met by who we call, who is known as the King of Salem, uh, and his name is Melchizedek. He's this very mysterious guy, the writer of Hebrews will pick up on it later in the New Testament. But as Abraham is going to, um, uh, uh, going home, um, Melchizedek meets him and uh, blesses him. And typically the greater blesses the lesser. And yet it's Melchizedek that blesses Abram. And Abram gives him a tenth. And typically the lesser uh, gives uh, a tenth to the greater. And that's the point that the writer of Hebrews uh, makes. And that's a very interesting reading. This mysterious character, Melchizedek, who Dr. John Willis of ACU affectionately calls Mel. Love that. Um, 
a very mysterious character, but somebody that is very important. And scripture would later say that Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, not Aaron, the brother of Moses, but rather after Melchizedek. And that's the point that the writer of Hebrews picks up on. Um, with Abram, as we said, we see the dating beginning in the more uh, uh, understandable way of B.C. before Christ. And, um, and so Abram living around 2000, um, uh, Moses around 1500, King David around 900 to 1000, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel taken into captivity in 721 B.C., southern kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem and Solomon's grand temple all destroyed in 586 BC, ultimately starting in about 606 BC, but ultimately in 586, the temple is destroyed, the walls are torn down, the city is burned. And, um, uh, and then about 70 years or so later, uh, the Israelites return and begin to rebuild. Zerubbabel of royal blood, descendant of David, uh, ancestor of Jesus Christ, uh, leads the rebuilding of the temple. Um, Nehemiah, as you know, rebuilds the walls and Ezra the priest um, uh, helps to rebuild the worship of God. In Genesis 15, God renews his covenant with Abram when Abraham said, hey, I, I know you've said through my descendant, I'm gonna, all the people of the earth are gonna be blessed, but I, I don't have a child. Maybe it's my servant, Eliezer. Maybe I'm gonna have a, maybe his, his son will be my heir. And God says, no, 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 no. And it won't be, it won't be him. Uh, it will be your own. Uh, child. Uh, and that great statement in Genesis 15, verse 6, God, uh, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. Paul picks up on that in Romans 4 and in Galatians 3. James picks up on that in James chapter 2. Abram believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness and he does the same for us today. And Genesis 16 is the uh, very interesting um, and troubling story of Hagar, the servant of Sarai, Abram's wife. Uh, she decides, hey, God's not acting fast enough, so here, take my servant, Hagar, Sarai says, and maybe God wants you to have your descendant through her. And that was not unusual in the day. It sounds repulsive to us, and it was a, a very humiliating thing. Uh, for everyone involved, and yet that's what they did. And so Abraham has a son through Hagar, and his name is Ishmael. But God affirms he will not be the son of promise. He will be blessed, and he will grow into a powerful, powerful nation himself with lots of descendants, but he will not be the son of promise. In Genesis chapter 17, we finally got to the last one you read this week. Um, uh, God gives the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham, uh, at 99 years old, is circumcised Ishmael at 13. Uh, later on, when Isaac is born, he will be circumcised on the eighth day, according to God's uh, command. Um, and also, at this time, uh, Abram's name is changed to Abraham. Sarai's name is changed to Sarah, indicating that they will be um, uh, ancestors of great and powerful nations of many, many people. Even though they had been childless for so long through Isaac, God would fulfill those promises we read about in Genesis 12 and we read throughout Genesis that he will uh, bless Abraham. He will have more descendants than the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky. 
and also that he would bless humanity, all of mankind, through a descendant of that man, Isaac, and ultimately seen in Jesus Christ. Well, that's the first week. Uh, in the week ahead, you'll be reading about all kinds of things, such as Sodom and Gomorrah and the terrible, distressing, sinful acts that they were involved in. Uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, Abraham having uh, seeing Isaac grow up. Isaac getting a wife, Rebecca, and uh, and we read about uh, uh, Jacob and Esau, the twin sons of Isaac and Rebecca, and uh, we begin to read the story uh, of Jacob. And, uh, and how God would fulfill his promises to Abraham through Isaac and through Jacob. I hope and pray that you hang in there. I'm looking forward to these studies. I'm sorry that uh, these first couple ones have run a little bit long. I would like to see them go about 15 or 20 minutes, but if I can keep them under 30, I think I'll be happy. And I hope that you will too. I hope that you take advantage of these and I don't want them to replace your daily Bible reading. I know that's a temptation because we're going to tell the whole story of the Bible this year on Tuesdays and Thursday afternoons. Uh, but I hope that you'll read each week. Uh, keep up. Remember, if you get behind, that's okay. Don't get frustrated. Just read today's reading first and then take the time to catch up when you can. But each day, start with that. Start with that day's reading and then go back and catch up when you can. Um, and uh, you'll never regret never regret reading through God's Word uh, because it truly is a light for our path as the psalmist says as Amy Grant saying thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path may God bless us all to use that light for our path every day amen <music>